Morning, everybody. Good to see you. We went to bed in summer and woke up in autumn or winter, whatever. Uh, so it's officially cold weather now. I won't be complaining. Um, I haven't compl- I have I compl- Casey, I don't think I've complained yet, right? Casey has complained, yeah. yeah. Actually, if it were not for the faithfulness of your pastor's wife, I probably would not be here today. I begged her. This morning, it was 68 degrees in our house. And when the alarm went off, I begged her to stay in bed. I begged her. I, I told her, if you will stay in bed, I will stay in bed. Um, so the only reason we're having church today, y'all, is because she refused. Uh, it's the best part of being married, though, is it not? Just laying in bed with a warm woman is just the best thing in the, in the whole world. It's just so good. Um, I wouldn't have called in sick. Can I call in cold? Can I just call in cold some Sunday Uh, I'll try not to. Luke chapter 5 is where we will be, not really in any kind of series, except that on Wednesday nights, we were going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse. And so uh, uh, I'm not in a series for the next few weeks. I just wanted to uh, pick up where we are on Wednesday nights with the gospel of Luke and preach this morning from Luke chapter 5. I love this, love this story very much. And I think God has a a good word for us today. Back in Jesus' day, the Jewish rabbis sort of argued over at at what age a young boy should start school, Hebrew school. And um, most boys started at about the age of five, typically six. Um, All boys would start Hebrew school at the age of six. They would learn Hebrew. They would learn to read Hebrew. They would begin memorizing the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament. They would start with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They would memorize because there really weren't any private copies in Jesus' day. You know that, right? I mean, nobody had, uh, you you didn't go to the Baptist bookstore, y'all, and buy a Bible. You know, they didn't have private copies. So if you were going to have the word of God with you, it had to be in you. The the very first lessons with the rabbis, as the young boys would begin quoting uh, from from the scriptures, they would take a drop of honey and place it on their lips so that as they would speak the word of God, they could learn the lesson that there's nothing sweeter than the word of God. Isn't that neat? Uh, incidentally, when I learned that, it's one of the reasons I started passing out candy at church. True story. Yeah, true story. Uh, nothing sweeter than the word of God. So the boys would begin memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They'd try to look, every boy would probably memorize the first five books, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. By about the age of 10, you could start sort of seeing which boys were rising to the top and which ones were not going to rise to the top. Um, By about the age of 13 or 14, most of the good students would have memorized the entire Hebrew Bible. We're talking about the 39 books of our Old Testament. Uh, You you get that? They would, boys would memorize it, which means they could stand up and recite the entire Hebrew Bible. But that's not all the boys though, as you know, (laughs) not every boy could ever possibly do that. So the Boys at the school would start to be weeded out. Those who were the good students, those who could memorize and begin to answer the questions with the rabbis, they would stay in school and they would progress on and probably become rabbis themselves. They would become disciples of the rabbis. But those boys who just couldn't hang with the whole memorizing the entire Hebrew Bible, they typically would leave school at about the age of 11, 12, 13. And at that point, they would take up a trade. Uh, They were not disciples material. Do you understand that? And so they would drop out of Hebrew school sometime around 12, 13, and uh, they would become, I don't know, something like, let's say a fisherman 
Uh, and it is fishermen that Jesus meets in Luke chapter 5. And he calls him, and this is beautiful. Let's pick up right there. I love this. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to do about the first 11 verses, so, so stay with me. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Jesus, Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything, everything and followed Jesus. So they dropped out of Hebrew school at about the age of 12, 13, uh, and they took up a trade, usually the trade of your father, in this case, fishing, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Zebedee was a fisherman. Peter most likely came from a fishing family as well. You took up the trade of your father because you realized pretty quickly that you weren't disciple material <laughs> to understand that. Uh, these guys aren't disciple material. If they were, they'd be at, at, at the synagogue. They would be, still be learning with the rabbis, but they weren't disciple material. And, and that's the amazing thing because Jesus goes on this particular day, he notices these guys, fishermen, and of all of the people, all of the actual people who were there, the crowds pressing in to hear Jesus teach, those hungry for the word of God. I mean, I mean those, that there must have been some amazingly brilliant folks in that crowd. But, but at the same time, Jesus on this particular day looks at the fishermen and says, I think I want you. I want you. He looks at the guys, Hebrew school flunkies, understand? He looks at them and he says, you're the ones I want. That's amazing. And so they become Jesus' disciples by doing a very simple thing. They leave everything. It's a simple thing. I didn't say it was easy. They leave everything and follow. Who does that? Who does that? Well, Simon Peter did it. Simon Peter does that. On this particular day, because of the power of Jesus, he has just had the biggest day of fishing of his life. And, and so on this day, when he walks away from it all, he walks away from it all on the most successful day of his entire fishing career. That's the day he walks away. Who does that? If you read through the Gospel of Luke as, as we're doing together, you'll remember Wednesday night when we were reading in Luke chapter 4, 
This really isn't Jesus' first encounter with Peter. That's the thing about the gospel stories. We don't really always know everything that transpires. We just sort of get the, the high points of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and so we sometimes skip over the fact that Jesus had already been in the city of Capernaum, as it says in Luke chapter 4. And in Capernaum, he worked very, uh, very many miracles. And among those, he worked the miracle of, 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 of healing in the life of a certain woman that we know as Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, it tells us that in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. He goes to Peter's house. Now, this is before what we see in Luke chapter 5. He goes to Peter's house where his mother-in-law is sick with a very high fever. And Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So that tells us several things. First off, Jesus and Peter have already met. Jesus has been in Peter's house. It also tells us uh, one of the things you don't really think about with the disciples, Peter's got a wife. He has a wife and a house. I mean, Mrs. Peter you know, is a real thing. He's got a wife. And later in the New Testament, you know, Paul makes reference to Peter's wife. So everybody knew her. She really never gets a speaking part in, in, in the New Testament. But, but Peter is married, has a house. Jesus has been in Peter's house. Jesus knows Peter's wife. Jesus knows Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus spends several days and nights in Capernaum. It's very likely that Jesus spent the night at Peter's house. I mean, it's altogether likely that he's been an overnight guest in the house. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, when Jesus sees empty boats by the shore and he needs use of those boats, he, he steps in a boat that's owned by Peter. He knows Peter. They've already had some measure of conversation. They've already had some acquaintance with one another. This isn't their first meeting. Now, as Luke tells the story, Jesus is teaching and the crowds are pressing in, big crowds. In the gospel, Luke, always pay attention to the crowd. They're always in the way. So the crowd is pressing in to hear Jesus. And so Jesus asked Peter if he can step into his boat and then has Peter push back a little bit from the shore. Now, there are several reasons why that's a smart thing. First off, I mean, the crowd can't keep pressing if you're out in the water. I mean, I mean, Jesus gets some room to step back where he can be seen, but also he can be heard. This is brilliant. This is acoustics. This is before the days of, you know, wireless microphones, you know, like I'm wearing right now. In Jesus' day, they would use the landscape. They would use whatever is there to amplify the voice. You ever been in a swimming pool and, and if somebody's across the pool and, and they speak, notice how the sound will travel across that water? So Jesus is using that acoustical effect of the water. He, he has Simon push his boat back, and that way Jesus' voice will be reflected off the water and people will hear his voice. It's brilliant. It's smart. Think about Peter, though. He's not really there for the sermon. He's not really there for the sermon. Why is Peter there? Well, remember, he's a fisherman. This is what he does. And he's been fishing all night. So Peter works the night shift. And, and right now, all he's trying to do is sort of clean up things. He's washing out his nets, repairing his nets, getting ready to go home, go to bed, and get ready to fish again tomorrow night. Understand, he's worked all night long. He's not there for the sermon. But Jesus uh, involves him. In involves him. In a, in a person's life, in a believer's life, I, I think there are two kinds of obedience. I want us to talk about these this morning, especially in reference to the story of Peter. I think there's shallow water obedience and, and there's 
deep water obedience. And in this particular story, often we skip over, we go straight to the deep water obedience. But honestly, it's the shallow water obedience that comes first. Stepping into one of the boats, verse 3, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. Now, we're not talking about pushing it out into deep water. No, no, first, it's shallow water. So he steps into Peter's boat, and he asks Peter to do something, just push the boat back a little ways from shore. This really isn't asking a whole lot. It's asking something, but it's not asking much. Just asking him to let him borrow his boat for long enough to get the sermon preached. And and during that time, if you don't mind, would you just row us out a little bit so I can get a little bit of distance from the shore? And and Peter does that. You understand? It it all starts with this, I call it shallow water obedience. Shallow water obedience. You ever heard of your comfort zone? We talk about our comfort zone. Well, what is a comfort zone? Somebody tell me. It's probably outside your comfort zone to speak in a, in a crowd like this, right? But what's your comfort zone? It's that, it's, it's your personal limit. Like I'll do this and this and this, but outside of this line, I'm not going to do that. I start feeling a little weird. It gets awkward. I get uncomfortable. It's the idea that a comfort zone are the things that you can do very comfortably, not asking a whole lot. It doesn't make you feel nervous or stretched or in any way uncomfortable. You understand? So you have this comfort zone and shallow water obedience is typically inside your comfort zone. But understand, just because Jesus isn't asking much, it doesn't mean that the obedience isn't important. And Peter's obedience here in shallow water is actually very, very important. This is where it all begins with shallow water obedience. Now, shallow water obedience is where most of us live because most of our lives are lived in shallow water. We like our comfort zone. We like that. So we don't mind so much if Jesus just wants us kind of step in, kind of take over our lives, take over our boat for long enough for maybe a sermon to last. You know, but, but after that, you know, we kind of prefer that he just, you know, step back out of the boat and let us get on with our business. That We just sort of don't mind the, the shallow water obedience. I mean, that's sort of where we live. But I would also say that's where most of our failures are. It's the idea that Jesus isn't asking much. And the fact that he's not asking much sometimes makes us feel like that, that, that it's not important or something that can be skipped over. He can find somebody else to do that. That's just not that big of a deal. And, and honestly, sometimes the fact that he's not asking for much, it, it, it inspires more disobedience than obedience. Remember the Old Testament story of Naaman, the leper, who was simply asked to go dip into the Jordan River how many times? Seven times, right? Seven times. And he got upset. He got mad. He's like, came all this distance to be healed. And you're telling me all I got to do is dip in the water seven times? I could have dipped in water at home. And what did the servant say? You're upset because he's asked you to do something very simple. If he'd asked you to do something very difficult, you'd be all over it. And see, that's how we are. That's what we are. It's the simple, shallow water obedience that for the most part prevents us from being genuine disciples of Jesus. We won't do the simple things. I remember in college, uh, I was dreaming of ministry. God already put a strong calling for ministry. I had no idea what that would mean. 
Uh, I had a roommate named Bob. I, I love Bob. I love Bob to this day. But Bob was just like that roommate. He was that roommate that, you know, if he undressed, it could have been at the front door and then his clothes would just lay there. You know, he was that guy, you know, underwear on the kitchen table. You, you know, a true story. I mean, it's just like, what? And the other thing is Bob, like, never bought groceries, but he ate a lot. Because I bought groceries. I mean, I've bought groceries before and then leave the apartment, come back, and they're gone. Like, he could sit on the phone and eat through a bag, of, like, eat the whole bag of chips. Just like, gone, gone. So I love Bob, but also just, he really got on my nerves. So I remember one day washing the dishes, because I'm the only one in the house who knows how to wash a dish. You know, I was having that kind of, you know, dishwashing pity party. As I'm washing his dishes, you know, where he ate my food, you know. And, and so... Anyway, in the midst of my bad attitude and sort of washing this other, my roommate's dishes and I'm tired of him and tired of buying his food and tired of doing all the cleaning and washing around here. In the middle of all this, I just sort of started, you know, worshiping the Lord, honestly, and uh, started just thanking God for, for, for his calling on my life. I just started telling God how I wanted to serve him. And I started telling God, I mean, God, I just wish you'd give me a big vision, a, a big calling. I wish you'd let me serve you in a big way. Just tell me how to do it, Lord. Tell me how to serve you in a big way. I mean, a true story. I prayed this prayer at the kitchen sink. Lord, just show me how to serve you in a big way. How can I serve you, Lord? And you know what he said? I mean, clear as day. I'll never forget this. I said, how can I serve you, Lord? And he said, serve Bob. I'm like, do you have a second choice? <laughs> you got a plan B here? Serve Bob. Isn't that interesting? Because God was preparing, he was, he was building a pastor's heart in me. Do you understand? And there's no way you're going to serve, you know, several hundred people later if you can't serve the one right in front of you now. You understand? It's just sort of how it works. It's sort of how it works. I talk to young guys who say, Pastor Tim, I feel like God wants me to be a pastor. What should I do first? I'm like, well, are you involved in a church? Well, not really. You know, I don't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, I'm not feeling good about you being a pastor. I mean, you know, if you can't lead your own sorry behind to church... Like, how are you eventually going to lead a church? You know, when you're telling me your family, you're not in church with your family now? And you think God wants you to, to lead a church? I don't understand that. But you understand, this is what I mean. It's just shallow water stuff. Shallow water stuff. I feel like God wants me to plant a church, one young man said. I said, well, you know, what are you leading now? Well, nothing. Nothing. Well, you should lead a small group. No, you don't understand. I think God wants me to lead a church. Well, but you should lead a small group first. You know, grow something, start something. You know, it's, it's progressive obedience, and it's typically the way the Lord prepares us. You're faithful in small things, and then the Lord is able to entrust you with big things. Most of us want to go straight to the big things. You know, Lord, you just, you know, you keep my number handy when you got something big to do. You know, you keep my number handy when there's something exciting and awesome to do. You know, because as it turns out, starting a small group in your house doesn't always seem so exciting. You know, it's, it's the small things. It's the small things. You want to be a pastor. You want to be a missionary, something exciting. Well, you start by maybe going home and discipling your own children. 
teach your own children to know and love Jesus. It just sort of starts small like that. It's, it's a shallow water obedience. And this is where Peter begins. Jesus just steps into his boat and asked him to, to, to push back a, a little bit of a distance. And, and that's what Peter does. And, and as long as the sermon takes, that's where Peter stays. He's just in that boat now, serving Jesus in the smallest way, just a little bit of distance from the shore. This doesn't require much. Y'all understand? Shallow water obedience. It's, it's where most of our lives are lived and where most of your failures are. You just won't be faithful in small things. You won't be obedient in small ways, but Peter is, Peter is. Now, when the sermon is over, the easiest thing in the world and what you would, might expect is Jesus just to say, thank you very much. Thank you for the use of this boat. Now, I know you've worked hard all night. Now you go home, you get a good night's rest. You know, go take care of your mother-in-law. I know she's been sick. I mean, you know, that's what you expect, but that's not how Jesus does because there's something you need to know about Jesus. Now, notice in verse 2, Jesus noticed two boats, but, but they're empty boats. You see that? Jesus notices two empty boats. And now Jesus has now borrowed Peter's boat. There's something you need to know about Jesus. It's sort of a fundamental principle in your life with Jesus, and it's this. When you give Jesus something empty, he's always going to give it back to you full. When you give Jesus something empty, he's going to give it back to you full. So Jesus has been in Peter's empty boat for as long as it takes to preach the sermon. And now it's time to sort of give Peter back that boat. But Jesus never gives anything back empty. It's just a principle of the spiritual life. But the thing is, the fullness is hardly ever found in the shallow water. So now that there's a new level of this, Jesus looks at Peter and says, why don't you take us on out now to deeper water? Remember, the first request was just push us back into shallow water. But now the second request, now take us out to the deep water, drop your nets for some fish. Now, this is what I would call deep water obedience. And this is harder. For one thing, understand, Peter's a professional fisherman. He may have flunked out of Hebrew school, but he didn't flunk out of fishing school. This is how he makes his living. And he knows when the, he knows this lake better than anybody. He knows where the fish are. He knows how to catch them. He knows when to catch them. And he knows that last night they fished all night long and they didn't see anything. They didn't catch anything. Peter knows this is not a good time. The fish ain't biting. He also knows that while he is something of a professional fisherman, this carpenter slash preacher in his boat is not a professional fisherman. So now Jesus is giving fishing advice to the fishermen. And Peter doesn't necessarily agree. Did you see this in the scripture? Master, verse 5, we worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. So Peter doesn't necessarily agree that this is a good idea. Notice he calls Jesus master. Master, it's a common uh, kind of title you could use for anybody in authority, but it's a common title, master. Uh, we, we fished on it. We did that. We've already done that. But, but if you say so, 
I'll let the nets down again. Just a small principle here. You don't have to agree with Jesus, but you do have to obey him. Understand? You don't have to agree. You may not see the wisdom in what he's asking you to do. It may not make any sense to you. You may think you know better. You may think that what Jesus is asking you to do is the craziest thing you've ever heard of. I'm telling you, you don't have to agree. Agreeing with Jesus is not part of it, but obedience is. So Peter says, we fished all night. I feel like I know better, but if you say so, I'll go. So at this time, they went out into the water, verse 5, let the nets down again. And what happens? At this time, their nets were so, what's the word? Full, full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were, say the word, filled, filled. Remember, verse 2, Jesus saw two empty boats, and now we have what? Two full boats. Jesus takes something empty. He always gives it back to you full. But that fullness comes in deeper water. It's it's that deep water obedience. It's just the obedience that leads you way outside your comfort zone. Have you ever followed Jesus in this way? I'm just saying, have, have you ever had to follow Jesus at, at a level at which it costs you something? At a level at which it scared you to death? Have you ever really had to sacrifice or risk anything for the sake of following Jesus? Because this is the, this is the deep water obedience here. Push out into deeper water. Now notice when Jesus invites you into deeper water, he's going to go with you. (laughs) Jesus is in the boat. Don't don't miss that whole part of this story. He's not on the shore, you know, calling out commands. He is right in the boat with Peter. So Peter's never by himself, and Jesus is always there. Jesus will always be with you, but that doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you won't be scared to death. So Peter lets down his nets, as Jesus said, and, and draws them back up, and the nets begin to tear. I mean, the, the nets are so full of fish. He's never seen anything like this. So they bring bringing the nets into the boat, and the, and the boat, I mean, there's more fish than a boat can hold. I mean, think that through. So they start calling for other boats, and other boats come, and eventually all the, all the boats are filled. You see, when Jesus takes something, you give him something empty, he always gives it back to you full. Fuller than you can imagine, fuller than you possibly could have managed on your own. I mean, this is just how Jesus works in in the deeper water. Would you follow him like that, though? I mean, would you? In the deeper water, would you obey Jesus even when you don't understand? Would you obey Jesus? Would you do something that he's asking you to do if, if it seems a little risky for you? It may look crazy. I mean, what are other people going to think when they see you pushing out in the middle of the day to fish? I mean, other people will think you're crazy. They're not going to understand. You're going to have to risk that public humiliation. Nobody's going to understand why you're doing this. And the only thing you can explain is it's because Jesus told me to do it. I mean, it's the only answer you've got. When you begin living your life in this deep water obedience way, 
Now understand, the only way to explain it is with reference to Jesus, but some of us don't want to live our lives in such a way where it can only be explained with reference to Jesus. We've got a church full of shallow water people, to be honest. We, every now and then, you know, somebody will pop up and, and do something amazing. You know, they'll, they'll leave their lives. I mean, as Peter did. I mean, every now and then, you'll find somebody right near that will follow Jesus into deeper water. But for the most part, we just prefer to sort of stay back where we are, shallow water. Just sort of, you know, we're still at the, uh, I'll come to church on Sunday. I, I'll, I'll give you as much time as it takes to hear a good sermon. But then if you don't mind, Jesus, just step back out of the boat and, and let me have my life back. I'll meet you back here next time. I mean, most of us just sort of live our lives in, in that shallow water place. But what I'm telling you is the fullness that Christ has for you is typically not found in the shallow water. The, the way he wants to fill your life, the way he intends to bless and use your life, where all of your needs and your desires are satisfied in him, it's out there somewhere else. It's in the deeper water. And your preference, your tendency to stay here, really close to the shore, really close to your zone of comfort, this is why you're missing so much in your life with Jesus. You're missing everything in your life with Jesus because you simply will not go where he asks you to go if it's going to cost you anything. Peter would have sinned seen Jesus casting out demons in Capernaum multiple times in the course of a few days. Jesus healed lots and lots of people in Capernaum. It's what we find in Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to Peter's own house and his mother-in-law was, was, was on her deathbed with a high fever and Jesus with the word heals her, completely heals her. The scripture says she pops up and cooks supper. Some of you think, man, I wish she'd come heal my wife. You know, if, if that's not, I wish she'd come touch her, you know, <laughs> supper. Peter has seen multiple miracles worked by Jesus' hand in the last few days. I mean, Peter has seen a lot, but, but now this is different. And, and it's interesting to, to try to figure out why it's so different for him. Because after, you know, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. I mean, we don't even get that Peter says anything. Maybe he didn't like her much. I don't know. But Peter doesn't have a lot to say with anything else that Jesus has done. But when Jesus does this, Peter goes out into the deep water. He, he casts his nets down and begins to feel those nets tug and pull. And suddenly, the, you know, the, the, the weight of the fish is, is greater than the buoyance of the boat and the boat begins to sink and he's bringing these fish in and, and calling for help and for the moment it's just so exciting if you're a fisherman this is winning the lottery you know I mean Peter's going to be wealthy I mean this is not just a day's worth or a week's worth of fish this is a month's worth or maybe a year's worth of fishing I mean suddenly I mean he could retire all the fish in the world are now just leaping into his boat and for a while that's thrilling and amazing and he's calling for help and fishermen are hooping and hollering and all of a sudden all kinds of people are rushing out into the deep water and just helping Peter with Peter's massive haul of fish but but understand something changes something desperately changes Start back in verse 5. Master, notice the word, Master, Simon replied. We worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. 
This time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their boats in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse eight, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, depart from me. Something happened. When Peter realized what had happened, I mean, what happened? It's, it's a miracle, but Peter's seen miracles. In the last 24 hours, he's, he's seen God at work, but something happened here. It's, 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 it's personal. It's Jesus showing his power inside the life that Peter lived with the things that Peter understood. You and I wouldn't probably understand that miracle. I'm just thinking, what is, you know, that, that looks like a lot of fish. I mean, I don't know. How many fish do you catch? I mean, I'm not a fisherman. I, w- I probably wouldn't recognize the, the miracle of it. But, but Peter understands what just happened. But, but, but what just happened is not only something that Jesus did in the water with the boat, it's something that happens in the heart of the man because something has changed. Notice in verse five, Simon calls Jesus what? Master, master. But in in verse eight, Peter falls at Jesus' feet and calls him what? Lord, Lord, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. What has happened? I, I, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I, I, can, I can describe this. In this moment, something happens, something changes in Peter's heart, and it has to do with the way he relates to Jesus, the way he understands who Jesus is. And Jesus is not just the master whose voice is to be obeyed. Now, now that's big. To recognize that Jesus has the authority to command your life, that's big. But for Peter, something changes, something goes deeper. And Jesus is no longer just the master whose voice is to be obeyed. He becomes the Lord. I mean, he's God. In the Gospel of Luke and throughout the New Testament, when somebody calls him Lord, my Lord and my God, Thomas says, understand, that's a confession of faith. That's a recognition of who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just another rabbi gathering disciples. Understand, this is God in the flesh. So Jesus is not just the master whose voice is to obey. He is the Lord whose holiness is to be feared. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He recognizes the holiness, the very presence of God. And he understands, I I can't be with you. I can't walk with you. I I can't be in this boat with you. His holiness is terrifying to Peter. He's in the presence of God. And now he knows, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Verse nine, he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as as were the others with them. But, But Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. It's it's those words right there. From now on, I think they are the most powerful words in the universe when Jesus speaks something. From now on. They're saying this, this is a turning point. 
from now on. In other words, you know, up to this point, certain things were true, but from now on, it's going to be different. This is the moment when Peter's whole life changes. From now on, these are powerful words when Jesus speaks them. Has he ever spoken them over your life? Now on, uh, you're going to be a fisherman, but not in the way you've always been a fisherman. Don't go fish for people. And Peter leaves everything. If you ask me, and this is just me, it's the wrong day to leave everything. Or, or maybe, you know, I, later that day I might. But, but first, I would really want to cash in. Understand, he's leaving his boats, but he's leaving his boats the fullest they've ever been of a fish, which is wealth. That's wealth for Peter. He fishes for money. You understand that? He sells the fish at the market. That's money. I think I would have to probably first, you know, pay off the house, pay off my mother-in-law's medical bills. You understand? And I would probably want to top off my IRA, and then I would follow Jesus. You know, I mean, I mean, this is the very top of his game. I mean, this moment. Give me four hours, Jesus. Give me four hours, one trip to the fish market, and then one trip to the bank. I mean, understand, he's never seen his boats this full of fish, and for the rest of his life, he'll never see another catch of fish like this. And that's when he walks away. That's when he leaves everything. Who does that? Why would anybody do that? Because as valuable as all of that is, Peter now knows that Jesus is worth more. As a matter of fact, all those fish and those boats and those nets and all of that, all of that reaches its highest potential when it shows Peter who Jesus is. You understand that? I mean, it just fulfilled its greatest worth because it's worth more when it simply helps Peter understand who Jesus is. And now Peter knows who Jesus is and the rest of this can just lay right there. He leaves it all. He leaves it all. Who does that? He leaves it all. Peter. He doesn't have much. I mean, that's all he's got. He's got boats and nets. He's a fisherman. He's not a wealthy man. But at this moment, he has less than he started with because he leaves everything. He walks away. He just walks away and leaves it all. Who does that? Who does that? Who completely empties themselves and then walks off and follows Jesus? Who does that? Well, everybody who understands who Jesus is. I mean, everybody does that when they know what Jesus is worth. You would do it too if you knew what Jesus is worth. It sounds like the scariest thing in the world to empty yourself like that, just to lay it all down, to walk away from it. That sounds like 
the craziest thing in the world. I mean, who does that? Who just lays it all down, makes himself empty? Who does that? Well, understand, it's not that crazy sounding to give yourself empty to Jesus when you understand what Jesus does with empty things. Because when you give something to Jesus empty, he always returns it full. You wondering why your life is so empty? It's never been given to Jesus. You wonder why your marriage so empty? Neither one of you have ever really given it to Jesus. You wonder why as a parent you always feel like you're in so far over your head because you've never really, really learned to depend upon your own heavenly father. Have you ever really tried to understand why you work and work and work and it's never enough? Because your life is only ever going to be completely filled and satisfied when you give your life to Jesus. Who does that? Everybody who understands who Jesus is. And if you knew Jesus, you'd do it too. Pray with me. Jesus, here we are on another Sunday, splashing ourselves around in knee-deep water, shallow water, Lord. This is where we live our lives. You, you can ask a little bit of us, Lord, but, but not too much. We, we, we have our line that we don't cross, Lord. And basically, we give you all the parts of our lives that we feel like we can spare, Lord. We give you a little bit of our income. We give you a little bit of our time, just a little bit of our attention, Lord. But for the most part, man, our lives are ours. We chase after fullness in, in all kinds of places and all kinds of ways, Lord. We continually come up empty, Lord, but we never seem to learn. We never, ever seem to learn. Jesus, I pray that you would lean over into our hearts today and begin to speak to us, Lord. Lord, there are men and there are women in the sound of my voice today that, that have been following you only in shallow water, obeying you, Lord, only when it, it was uh, at matters that cost them next to nothing, Lord, never risking anything, never actually giving themselves away to you in any kind of big way, Lord. I pray that today you would overwhelm them with your power, with your love, with the promise, Lord, that if they would just empty themselves and give themselves to you, Lord, you would fill them in ways they've never imagined. God, we've been a shallow water church for so long. Would you not just call us into deeper water, Lord? I've been a shallow water pastor. Oh, but God, we just ask you today to step into the boat of our lives. Command us, Lord. Show us, Lord, where the deeper waters are. Tell us what it is that you would have for us to do. Teach us, Lord, that you are not just the master whose voice is to be obeyed. You are the Lord whose holiness is to be feared. Oh, Jesus, show us your true face. 
your true power. Teach us, Lord, to tremble in your presence, but also, Lord, to follow you everywhere. No matter the cost, no matter, Lord, the risk, help us, Lord, to understand that whatever it costs us to follow you, you are worth it all. Call us. Help us, Lord, to leave everything. Follow after you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.